I like I like that we had a whole conversation about Jan Vesley on a Wizards draft podcast before we did the podcast. And then we're just going to jump into talking about other things. Like if only people knew that in my spare time, what I do is just talk about Jan Vesley. <laughs> What'd you do today? Just, you know, talked about Jan Vesley. Isn't that your job? Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's talk it about Vesley's, Vesley's potential as a center in this league. What would it be like? Yeah, I just go to like? sleep. I'm like, man, Jan Vesley became a, an MVP by just being a rim diver. What if the wizards just made him that? <laughs> yeah. It's like 1130 PM. I'm lying in bed. It's, keeping oh, it's, it's real though in Euroleague. That is exactly what it did, and it was pretty successful. You know, when I was in when I was in college, there was a uh, a diver. Like I covered a high school diving event, and one of the divers on the team was named Zach Papool. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good mix of word. It's it's a great, great. It was spelled P. Spelled P apostrophe P O O L. Wow. <laughs> Such a good name for a high school diver. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's an apostrophe there. Exactly. You know, what kind of letters could be? Now, nowadays, like commenting on his name being Zach Papool 100% would have made it into my coverage. But back then, I was in college. I didn't, I didn't realize the story was there's a diver named Zach Papool. He was quite good. Yeah, you better be. like. Was Actually, doing... I don't know if it was quite good. I don't even remember. I don't remember if I was the one who covered it. It might have been one of my friends, but it became such a running joke with all of my friends. There was a diver named Zach Papool. I don't even remember the moment, but Zach Papool constantly referenced. Zach Papool. Yeah, the guy that mows my yard is named uh, Joe uh, Yard. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like. Like, it's great because it's not the sport. Like, I think Zach Papool is funnier than Zach DeDiver. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. I don't have any good jokes. It's like, like it's like if Lonzo's last name was Lonzo Babal. <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about the, the puh, the extra puh. Feels a little, yeah. feels a little, it's a little much. It's Some, a good somebody, emphasis. Somebody should have, should have cut that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So welcome to Wizards After Dark. If you happen to be listening live, I didn't even know we were doing this live until uh, until Andrew. I opened up the link that my producer, Andrew Schlecht, who you just heard, sent to me. And uh, then we came on live. So I guess we're doing this thing live. You can you can see me. Thank God I put on a shirt for this one. Lord knows what all the other episodes would be like if we did this thing live. Uh, but we're, we're on. If you want to ask a question, you can leave it in the chat and we'll talk about it. What we're really going to do is today. Uh, I'm Fred Katz, by the way. If you just happen to click on a link that you saw on Twitter and over there in the upper right screen, at least for me, the upper right screen is uh, Mikey Berra, who's my good buddy and, and knows what he's talking about on draft stuff. Uh, and... Uh, and, and we're just we're going to dive into some draft stuff today. And, and specifically, we're going to talk about two wings, um, Vassell and Okoro. And uh, we're, we're just we're just chatting on all that stuff. Andrew loves, loves the draft. Mikey loves the draft. So uh, let's dive in. Let's talk about uh, McKellie's uh, least favorite player in the draft. Right, right McKellie? Yeah. You know, I'm kind of backpedaling on, on everything I thought 
like since the beginning of this process because yeah. like Okora was the first guy that we we discussed for another yeah. podcast and and we we focused on him because we thought that we could hate him uh pretty easily because it's a non-shooter uh, a guy that has a super high motor but again the shooting is just not there and then Ludort happened uh I watched a ton of Okoro's basketball and <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure that shooting is the only thing. Um, Okoro has a lot of gifts as an athlete, as in a lot of gifts in terms of his, the fact that he's a super tenacious guy. He will never, ever uh, give up on a play. And so even if the shooting is not there yet, I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting to rethink uh, about the draft uh, with what we saw in the bubble and we saw in the last part of the season. So, you know, what's interesting to me about, about, first of all, I said, let's dive in. I should have said, let's dive in like Zach Papool. Uh, <laughs> but here's, here's what's interesting to me about Okoro. Like you mentioned Dort. Rookies are almost always, even rookies, I've said this on the podcast so many times, even rookies who end up becoming really, really, really good defenders, maybe some who become great defenders are, are usually not even like average yeah. defenders mm-hmm. as, as rookies. I'm talking their first year in the league. They first step on an NBA court. They're bad. They're detrimental. They're still adjusting to the speed of the game. They're still mm-hmm. adjusting to the way that NBA defense is completely different in terms of strategy, in terms of it's officiated than it is in the college game or the way it is overseas. There's so much to learn and so much of just being a good defender is just knowing where to be. And that's mm-hmm. it. Right. And it's like, unless you have absolutely outrageous physical abilities, like top, five or top four physical abilities out there to compensate for it. If you're always or consistently in the wrong place, you're going to be bad at defense. You just, you just are, uh, you know, the greatest example of this is Michael Porter jr. Who's an unbelievable athlete and is crazy long and is so in the wrong place so often that he oh, yeah. really, really hurt, uh, Denver's defense this year when he was on the floor, whether that was in the bubble or the you know little bit that he played, pre-bubble he just was that bad defensively now he's a guy who doesn't project to become a good defender at any point but this year which i thought was interesting there were two wing defenders in okoro and matisse Thybul who were really like not good for rookies i mean dort they were did I, who did i say he said okoro okoro who will dort, probably be dort. very good at the beginning but yes yeah. well bring it back to okoro dort and Tybal, who were really excellent defensive players like Dort is an excellent defensive player now and Matisse Thibel is an excellent defensive player now yeah and I'm wondering if we set like Matisse Thibel because in my opinion he was the best defensive rookie in the league this year if there were an all if there were a uh, defensive rookie of the year award he's getting it from me for sure Um, that's fair if we set Thibel is like the ceiling of recent examples who are going to be awesome at defense. Like where is Okoro on that scale? Not Okoro five years from now, yeah. just like he enters the league. What is his impact defensively? Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I, I really just, I honestly don't know. I don't know how, 
I think he's got like the tenacity, but sometimes that plays the opposite way for rookies is that they mm-hmm. will, they'll have high, like a high steal rate, but they won't be a good defender. And so he kind of strikes me as more of a guy that will put up defensive stats and make you think, oh, he's such a good defender. And then when you watch him on a night to night basis, like he still is like learning like the scouting process and learning how like game to game, how to defend different guys. Because I mean, it's, it is, it is, it's almost strange how good Dort was against Houston. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, is just, like you said, it's just unusual. And so to me to expect him to come in and make a defensive impact, I think you're, I think your expectations are out of whack. I think you, I think that he's going to be disruptive no matter what. I think he'll be a disruptive defender, but being like a solid, like one-on-one, he's going to be able to, you're going to be able to throw him on the James Hardens and guys like that. Like, I just don't usually don't even throw second year guys on James Harden. So I would, my guess is that he will be a disruptive defender that will have nice stats, but that may be about it for at least a little while. Kelly, what do you think? Um, I'll try to make an NFL comparison. I'll, I'll fail miserably. Uh, <laughs> but you have like cornerbacks that try to shadow the wide receiver and others that try to play kind of a little bit detached, plays like a little bit of zone. If you want to play uh, Okoro off the ball, like not guarding a player directly, you're up to fail. Like it, you will put him into a very tough position. Um, he would be excellent in closeout situations. It will be probably good to... I don't know, in terms of one-on-one defender, he's a little bit reckless, so I don't know if he will be extremely successful, uh, as Andrew said, on top league guards. It might happen because he has the physicality, he's big, yeah, long, he's big. Uh, he has a very good height, he's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, so that will play uh, in his favor. He will be good in switches because you don't have to really think about where you should be on the court. You just have to to take the guy uh, and move uh, when, you, when you play screens. So I, I think that he will be a plus defender, but strictly when you don't put him too much in space. Uh, and this is something where Lou Dort struggled as well. One thing where, one of the reasons why Lou played a, su- a successful season is that he could play a lot man-to-man and not too much like free safety uh, around the the, um, the area. Like it was not like assigned to be the off-ball guy. Uh, Tybal is a much refined defender. I think he is still better on the ball than, than what, he, what he does like off the ball, but he's also an older, an older player. And that plays a huge part because when you are 20, 21 compared to when you are 22, uh, and older, 21, 22, like it, it's it's different. He has a little bit more of experience. He played uh, a lot of like different schemes in Washington. So I don't know what kind of defender Okoro is. One thing that I know is that Auburn with him on the court was excellent. Uh, and and this I think should be taken into consideration when you when we evaluate a uh, college player because like the way in which he played defense was contagious. And and this will be a quality in the NBA as well. So I'm going to ask what I think is the obvious question then. We're, we're not talking about these guys like, can they succeed in the NBA? Ultimately, the question is, because we're talking about this in the concept of the Wizards, right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, the question is not, is this guy going to succeed in the NBA? It's, is this guy good value with the number nine pick? We're comparing Okoro right now to Matisse Thibault, 
who was in the 20s. What was he, 22? Mm-hmm. And Lou Dort, who went undrafted. Now, yeah. that's a little bit of an extreme example. If you go back and you redraft the 2019 draft, Lou Dort obviously wouldn't go undrafted. He would go somewhere in the first round. But I'm not totally convinced either of those guys would be the number nine pick. And and yes, this draft is weaker than last year's draft, or at least is considered to be weaker than last year's draft. But if you get a guy like those guys aren't giving you other than game seven Dort, those those guys aren't giving you anything offensively right now. And a lot of that has to do with how they shoot. Now, I think Okoro moves pretty well off the ball. He, he, yeah. He's he's pretty smart. I I you guys know more about about him than I do, which is why I wanted to have have him on because I I don't want to throw myself out there. I, I watch an unbelievable amount of NBA, and I think I can talk about the nuances of the NBA and X's nose in NBA, and you know very very tiny habits that players have till the end of time. And I can dream about Jan Vesely all I want, but. <laughs> When it comes to these prospects, I'm not an expert. I've watched stuff. I've learned stuff. I've noticed stuff myself. But you guys really do know more than I do on this stuff. And so I'm wondering, I do think he moves well off the ball. I've seen times where he notices, oh, that's good recognition on that back cut. Uh, But again, these are college defenses. And and if he is going up against an NBA defense, which is saying, just just let him go. Uh, Let him let him do his thing is is he um, a guy who ultimately in games that matter doesn't make a difference? Like where, where is he? Cause there are different types of players who don't get guarded. There are players who don't get guarded. And because they, there are players who don't get guarded throughout the year. There are players who get guarded throughout the year and then come to a playoff series. Then in the playoffs, they've got seven straight games to make habits or four to seven games to make habits and playoff teams do something different. Um, someone's, I don't know who's hammering right now, but the, and and then there are players who come to playoffs when guys sag off of them, they're smart enough and active enough to force the defense to make another change on them because they have other skills and shooting isn't necessarily everything. And I'm talking about off ball guys. If you can handle and score for yourself and all of these sorts of things, um, you know, we're talking about a different kind of player where, where is he on that side? Because that is ultimately what's going to define how many minutes he can play in an actual important moment. Right. Uh, Cause even if, even if he's great, if no one guards him and he can't make people pay for nobody guarding him. And I don't know if he's necessarily at that point, because just because you can't shoot doesn't mean you can't do that. If you can do stuff when you have the ball, that counters a lot of it because people have to guard you when you have the ball. Uh, But that puts a cap on how many minutes he can play in important moments. Does that matter at the number nine pick? Are we at the number nine pick point where it's like, that's, that's the, you know, that's not what you expect out of the number nine pick in a draft like this. Am I underselling his offensive abilities? Like where, where, McKelly, where are you at with that? So first of all, um, you don't tr- you don't use uh, the pick number nine on a guy like that if you think this is the player that you get when he is in his prime. Because if you draft the core with the nine pick, thinking oh it will be a good defender that can kind of handle in some situation and he moves pretty well and has good IQ, then no, this is not not the guy that you pick at nine. Um, and this is why even if you redraft, you don't pick Tybal or Dort in the top twenty probably, maybe top top fifteen, maybe Tybal you get it at sixteen something like that, but not 
higher than that. Yeah. And even if this is a weak draft, uh, what you bank uh, in terms, like what you hope is that Okoro will become like a 33, 34% shooter uh, on catch, just on catch and shoot opportunities. And a guy that can really take advantage uh, of his IQ because like what, what Lou Dort uh, was able to do on the, on the court, which I think Okoro can do better today is attacking closeout and, and move without the ball and attack aggressively the basket whenever he has the chance. And the NBA court allow you for more space than college. And in college, he was like, driving every single time, no matter who was guarding him. His first step is not bad. And so if he can swing the ball and as soon as he has an advantage, like a positional advantage, you can drive to the basket and even make a pass. He's able to do like pretty good passes, like better than Dort. Dort was playing point guard, but I think the IQ of a guy like Okoro is better. And again, the positional versatility that Okoro can have compared to Dort, like you, you cannot really play Dort at the four. Like, yeah. yeah, you may uh, against Houston, but if you play against the Lakers, you just can't flat out. Uh, with him, with Okoro, he's 6'7", six, 6'6", seven, 6'7". Six, 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 you can play him um, due to his slang and due to his motor and his athleticism. So you don't have like a, a player that is strictly uh, wing slash shooting guard, uh, like positional wise, and that can just cannot shoot. He can do multiple things on the court. And the shot is not broken. I mean, the, the shooting, the free throw shooting is not awesome, 67% on a lot of attempts, um, but it's not horrible. Like, again, the mechanics for like a catch and shoot is not okay, but sometimes you you see that when you have space and time, when you put the, the leg behind the shot, the, the motion looks actually okay. So there was a lot to do, but I remember joking with probably you and Andrew about the fact that like Ludor's shots in college where what well, one was sideways, one was front, the other was back, were completely different. Mm. Like Okoro is not at that point. So again, you don't draft him like hoping, oh yeah, I have a, a pretty good defender. One thing about the Wizards, it's true. If you want to maximize the Wizards, probably with John Wall, probably having a non-shooter will complicate things. But Okoro may give you the possibility to, to play Bertans at the five a lot more. And because, because you have a strong defensive presence that can do other stuff on the court. And so there are, there are like team construction where I think it can work. Because when you have Bertans as a stretching power and you have a blazing speed John Wall, well, if you get that back, then you have space, you have things moving, you have another great score in, in Bradley Beal. So there will be space for Okoro to operate. So I don't, I don't think it's a bad pick. You have to work a lot to improve him and he has to work a lot. Yeah. But, um, but I think it makes sense. Yeah. I, to me, if you're going to draft Okoro, you have to believe he has a really high ceiling because yeah. if, if you think he is like a role player on your team, if he's like a starting level player, but not a guy that's going to ever go to an all-star game, I just wouldn't take him. I just wouldn't do it. I just don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth having role players on your team that can't shoot. I think time and time again, it is just really hard. He has got to be like a superstar defender, or he's got to be have such a good all-around game that he makes an all-star game someday for, for me to take him in the top 10. Otherwise, mm -hmm. there are role players out there like Devin Vassell, who we'll talk about, that can come in, can shoot, 
can defend. Great. That's what we need you to do. We need somebody with the play with Bradley Beal and John Wall that can do those things. And you can have Darvis Bertans on the court and you can, you can do a lot more things to me because I know Vassell, ha- I think Vassell probably has a lower ceiling than Okoro does because Okoro does have the athleticism and some unique tools, but I haven't seen enough to make me think this guy's going to be an all-star level player. And so I wouldn't take him. <laughs> I just wouldn't. I just don't like, I don't like him for the Wizards because the, the Wizards need, a, like if you think that Isaac Okoro can come in and fix the Wizards defense, then like, you're crazy. Like you're nuts. You know, I'd rather yeah, stick, with, stick with what the Wizards do well and like shoot the basketball. Let's, and Vassell's good. Vassell's a good defender. And so it's not mm-hmm. like you're exchanging like offense for defense. That's not what the exchange is. Well, Isaac Okoro can't fix the Wizards' defense, but maybe, just maybe, Isak Okoro can. <laughs> there you go. See, I can't. I I'm, I know like the Bonga comparison to Okoro might ins- be insulting to Okoro, but they're not like that dissimilar of players. That, like they can both dribble and they can both not shoot the ball real well, and they'll both not be guarded, but. I don't know. Like the project is not that far off. The ceiling is obviously higher with the core. He's going to be a top 10 pick, but they're not that dissimilar of player. Well, is much more fluid with the ball. Like, yeah, yeah. A core. There's a lot more with the ball. Like mm-hmm. Bonga, but is he, but is he worth, not going to, is he worth it? Is it worth a top 10 pick? Well, so here's one thing that I'll say about a Then we can move on to Vassell, but regarding what, what Michele was saying about his shooting form and how like in moments it looks good. I, I have a scout. I don't have a scout. I know a scout that would really be at a point of NBA. just like have a scout on the side. <laughs> um, I, I know a scout who is very, very good at his job and is incredibly well-respected and often finds things and says things. I'm like, that's nuts, man. And then two years later, he's like, remember when I said that to you? And I'm like, yep, you were absolutely correct. Um, who insists to me that Okoro is going to become a legitimately good three-point shooter. Hmm. Um, and he's been doing this a long time. Yeah. And he insists to me, Okoro, I mean, I don't, I don't think the implication is he's going to be like a 43% shooter. Like, I don't think the implication is he's Clay Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think but he expects him to be mid to high thirties on, on threes and uh, high thirties seem to die, but mid thirties, I fully I shoot, buy that. I mean, yeah. And his logic then, is yeah, that he thinks his form looks good for the most part. Mm-hmm. And he said, he thinks the flaws in his form, I haven't necessarily spoken to him on a, on a, on a granular enough way to know exactly what flaws he's referring to, but I can ask. Um, he thinks the flaws in his form are very fixable. Uh, he thinks the flaws in his form will be will be taken out by a good NBA coach and by NBA quality shooting coach. And he thinks that he's going if he goes to an organization that gets those flaws out and catches and, and he can just catch and shoot and encourages him to do so. He thinks he's going to become a good shooter quickly. So hmm. we'll see. So that's one thing. So that Andrew, I will say if you are of that thought then he doesn't necessarily need to be. I agree with you. If you think that that shot is not going to allow him to shoot better than 31% from three at any point, mm-hmm. and if he's like 32% on catch and shoot threes, there's just, he's not, 
it's so difficult. The league is only more going in this direction. You get to a playoff series. If a guy plays on the perimeter and doesn't shoot threes, it's incredibly difficult to make up for that with a role player specifically. So I agree with you, but the way that you draft him at nine, even if you don't think he's going to be an awesome, awesome player, you just think he's going to be like good value at nine is if you're looking at him and saying, you know what? I can get the flaws out of that shooting form. I know exactly what mm-hmm. to do. I've worked with guys like this before. I can't make him into a 42% shooter, but I can make him into a 36% one. And if he can defend like that and shoot just well enough to get someone to close out on him lightly, yeah. we're good to go with this guy. So that's that's the one thing I, I will say regarding him. I, I don't know. I think the most amazing thing that scouts are able to do, like the most amazing scout skill, is to look at a skill that somebody is objectively bad at and say, yeah, yeah, he's bad at that now, but he's going to get good. That to me is what the amazing scouts are able to do. And they're wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. We, see, we see it. They're wrong all the time. That's why it's so hard. Nobody's perfect at it. So I, I don't know where he's going to go with that, but I do agree. Like, it's not like he's, he's shooting a ball six feet to the left and then hit one off the top of the backboard and his release looks disgusting. And like, that's not the case with him. So I'm, I'm very intrigued by him because I love watching him defend. He's, he's a beast. force. Yeah. Let's talk Vassell. I just want Andrew, you love, I I love Vassell. One more thing. And I, I think Stan Van Gundy or Jeff Van Gundy talked about this a long time ago and it's always stuck with me. Would you rather have a guy, you know, is a good shooter and that has the tools to be a good defender and to teach them how to defend? Or would you rather have a guy that can already defend and has those tools and teach them how to shoot? Which one would you rather have? Like if you could choose a prospect, which one would you rather have? Well, I'm, can I give you an incredibly annoying response? No, no, just, just yes. answer the question. I love those. Fred, I know, th- I know how you answer these questions, but I just want you to answer the question. Just like if I have a coach, if I have a great shooting coach, I'll pick the guy who can't shoot. Yeah. Um, if I, so th- th- I would this is rather, so I, I would rather if we're speaking that, um, that, uh, I guess overarchingly about it, mm-hmm. I would take the guy who can't shoot. I think it's, I think it's, if you can get a guy who you know is going to be an awesome defender, like that is incredibly difficult to find. Like you can find guys who become, you can't teach a guy to be awesome on defense. You just, you just can't like, you can teach a guy how to play great team defense. Mm -hmm. But if a guy is not all, if a guy stinks at defense, he can get to becoming like a good team defender and all those sorts of things. But how many times have we seen a guy stink at defense and then all of a sudden get to a point where you're like, this guy's amazing now. Yeah. Maybe gets to a point where you're like, this guy knows how to play now, but mm-hmm. you're, it's so rare. You're like, this guy's amazing. But how many times have we just seen like Jeremy Grant become a 38% three point shooter? That yep. happens. Marcus soul starts shooting threes. Brooke Lopez starts shooting threes. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm, it's just funny because McKellie and I mostly cover the thunder and it's like, <laughs> we only have guys that can defend and I'm, not shoot. And like, I'm betraying you with this. I know. To teach, yeah, to teach a uh, to teach someone to shoot. I know you act like it just happened. It can just happen. You know, we, and they had it with Jeremy Grant. Super cool. That was great. I just I think it's really hard to teach non-shooters. How, like you know what you definitely shouldn't do. Uh, you shouldn't draft a guy that looks like a great defender. It has great athletic abilities. You know that he will not be able to shoot, and you draft it anyway. This is the 
awful prospect that you and you you get with guys like Diallo. But yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think Okoro <laughs> is um, is very very different. Uh, yeah. One thing, um, I don't know how much Brown and Achimura improved from three. Um, yeah. but if, and this is something that you have to to think when uh, when you when you speak about like shooting development, are the Wizards able to take reasonably okay shooters uh, college wise and, and making them great shooters? So far, I, I don't think the answer is yes, without a doubt. And so maybe it's a little bit tougher. Uh, for a team like that to to mold a core into into a shooter, I don't know. Uh, this is more a question than a, than a comment because I don't follow that closely. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's um, let's talk about Devin Vassell. Andrew, you love him. I'm a big Riff fan. away. I'm a big fan. I just think that he is the high floor guy of this lottery. He are he has these skills that you look at and you're like oh great he can really shoot it sweet that's perfect for this NBA wait he's he's tall and he's got really long arms and he can defend I mean he's I mean maybe his ceiling is like a Danny Green type of guy like prime Danny Green not this Danny Green nobody wants this Danny Green but prime <laughs> Danny Green like that's that is not a super easy player to find one that can block shots and stay with the best players on the other side of the court and then just be a knockdown shooter. And to me, if you're going to build around Bradley Beal, like if you have a guy that's already ball dominant like that and you bring back John Wall, who knows what that will look like. But if you have those guys that are ball dominant, you need space for them. That's why I would just stay away from guys like Okoro. Um, Because if you can, if you can choose between the two, I know that maybe his, he's not going to be an all-star type of, player but that's a high level role player that you can just plug in and also it's yeah. somebody you can plug in no matter how your roster changes exactly oh. it, yes so yeah. if you have to trade bradley beal guess what he is just as relevant in that situation yep. if you for somehow somehow something happens where you do like a bad contract swap with john wall and the fabric of your team vastly changes guess what? He's still just as relevant. Mm-hmm. How many times do you guys hear, you know, that, that roster, it's just, it's just, I know you cover the thunder. So how many times do you hear, you know, all that roster needs is just like a three and D guy. Yeah, Just, one just one like a shooter. really good three and D role player. Yes. And people say that like, it's a thing. It's really rare. There are very few prime Danny greens out there. Yep. Like, and I, I agree with you on the comp, especially because I, I think he's quite good in transition. Yeah. yeah, very Danny yeah, Green. Yeah, I think the floor very well, and and Danny Green obviously is you know a, a, a unbelievable transition defender too, and I could see him really excelling in that part of the game too. Uh, I know the Wizards have said time and time again that they, Tommy Shepard has said on multiple occasions publicly they're going to draft the best available player, mm-hmm. and maybe that's not. Vassell, maybe it is. I don't know where they have him on their board. But regardless of whether he's best available player or not, I think he's a really good fit. But I think whoever takes him is going to say he's just a great fit here. Yeah. Because, again, the point of a guy who thrives without the ball, who defends pretty well, who will be good running the floor, who's good if you play in the half court, who's good if you play fast, 
who's going to catch and shoot, who's going to stand around the three-point line. What team is like, mm, you know what? We just have too many of those. Yeah, no, thanks. You know, <laughs> you, know you know what? Uh, and drafting he's best never going to be an all star. You know, what? he's never going to be an all star. You know what? Drafting but the best player available means, Fred, for the Wizards. Taking the player who's the best. No, you know who they're going to take. Oh, God, who got Obi Toppin is just going to be a wizard. And they're going to be like, now we have like a thousand guys that play the same position. It's going to, it's going to be great. It's just, it's just going to, I know it's, it's going to, he will space the court. So that part is still okay. Between him and Rui and Bertans. It's funny to think like, because if I think if you said to a, a casual basketball fan, yeah, Toppin, a casual basketball fan who like knows how Toppin plays, knows how Rui plays, knows how Bertans plays. Yeah. It's funny how the sport of basketball works and how it's changed. Because I think you said to a casual basketball fan, are those guys all the same type of player? You'd be like, nah. Like topping kind of more handles the ball. Rui's just like a catch and shoot mid range guy. Like Bertans bombs from like thirty five feet mm-hmm. if he wants to. Mm-hmm. You know what Davis Bertans shot on shots from thirty plus feet this year? I don't. Only the person 30, that, that thinks about the Wizards okay. this much knows this. Okay. McKelly, what do you think that Davis Burton shot in terms of percentage of volume? Per se, I'll, I'll even tell you. He took thirty-seven point eight. According to according to uh, according to uh, Sportview, or not Sportview. Mm-hmm. God, my terminology is off. Second Spectrum. Yeah, he took yeah. twenty shots from thirty plus feet. Only twenty, which seems low, right? That's, like that, that seems weird. Yeah. Oh. I have to go back and watch him. How if many of those twenty do you think he made? Eleven. Andrew, what do you think? 17. He made 14 of his 20 <laughs> shots from there. <laughs> so we are we are dead even. Wow. Yeah. You yeah, win because you're right you, in the middle. You, <laughs> no, price is right rules. So you win. You can't go over. Yeah. Uh, 14 out of 20. I, I don't believe he only took 20, by the way. There's something it funky about so. that number. It, it does, right? So. But it's still yeah. a hilarious stat. Anyway, that guy who shot 70% on 30 plus foot shots and Rui. It sounds ridiculous to say they're the same. The reason that they're similar is mostly because of the other end. Yes. It's mostly because of of the old defensive adage where people say, well, LeBron's really a point guard. He brings the ball up. And there is the old NBA or basketball adage of, no, no, your position is who you guard, Mm -hmm. not what you do on the other end. Mm -hmm. LeBron doesn't guard point guards, except for, you know, sparse moments where they throw him on Jamal Murray or something like that in the Western Conference Finals. So LeBron's not a point guard. And those guys are who they guard. And that's why those guys overlap. Um, Yeah, you're right on Toppin. That that would not (laughs) – I just wrote a piece, by the way, if you want to go to the Athletic D.C., if you're not a subscriber, you can sign up for $1 a month. Uh, if you just find this link on social media or you just go to the athletic DC and you sign up there, or if you go to the athletic.com slash wizards after dark, you can sign up for $1 a month. But I just wrote a piece for yesterday about speaking of fit Tyrese Halliburton and Killian Hayes, who could conceivably be around at the number nine pick and kind of what it would mean and how it would happen if the wizards drafted a, uh, Drafted a point guard, obviously, with John Wall already on the roster. But back to Vassell, that's like the opposite of a fit issue in every location. Yeah. And Michele, when you take the Wizards, who, number one, don't really have a three. Like, Bonga is like kind of the closest thing you have to a three. Troy Brown is kind of like this modern, you know, the make the Wizards comp. He's he's whatever position Thomas Sadoransky plays, you know. 
kind of this hybrid com he's not even really a combo guard he's just kind of like a point guard who 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 isn't really a point guard uh mm-hmm. which is fine by the way like that yeah so, have a name for a position the cell is just like cleanly a two slash three who can shoot and who can defend and there is definitely a need for that with them yeah and since you are both so positive on the cell and i am too yeah, i mean give us the yeah. negatives uh, it's not that I don't like Vassell. Uh, I think that he will be a fine NBA player uh, if he finds a good summer coach uh, like David Torp that who can teach him how to do Dave, uh, Duncan Robinson thing, uh, like sprinting off off screens and and do movements like that. He will be extremely valuable for any team, not just the Wizards. Uh, I think that we, he will fit perfectly in, in the Wizards scheme because he is an awesome, outstanding. Um, defender, not one-on-one defender, but he, he is great in space. He's awesome at generating skills while defending nobody, mm-hmm. like just playing the passing lane. And those skills are really, really, really important. So this is this is the, the positive that I have in mind. Um, but Vassell's rarely takes free throws. He doesn't do much with the ball except for shooting either spot-up jumpers or pull-ups but he's not very fluid in terms of the pull-ups he is tall for the college level and he can easily get shut up because he's rarely defended by tall guys but if you play against a guy like okoro you will not able to take those shots there are multiple times in the game where Vassell is guarded by a shorter player and just pull-ups in front of him like gallo does uh like gallo did for okc or batons they are so tall compared to who guard them that they can take a shot even if they have like not so much space he is not able to create separation uh and this is tough for a shooter you have to do it by movement this is the same with duncan robinson he's not really able to pull up in front of you when you're guarding him you have to use screens but vassell is not that able to use screens yet in his career and again the free throws like just two free throws per game for a guy that handled the ball a lot uh let me pull up some uh, numbers in terms of the distribution. He was playing pick and roll in 20%, 17% of, the, of his possessions. And he was going in transition 21 of his possessions. So the, the ball handling stuff are not like a small part of his game. And yet he wasn't able to generate a ton of free throws. Compared to him, like Okoro was taking almost five, which is more than a double uh, that amount. So I, I questioned the motor and the other stuff. And the fact that when you mentioned Danny Green, you mentioned Duncan Robinson, you mentioned uh, even Tyler Hero, uh, uh, Kendrick Nunn, take the 3 and D prospect Crowder, even Jimmy Butler, who was a 3 and D in his early, the early part of his career, those guys are rarely drafted in the top 10 because you have kind of a box where you put them in and this is what you do. And it's just not the guy that you want to draft at 10. So I, I agree that for a lot of guys that you think they can be just 3 and D, sometimes you get a Devin Booker. Uh, sometimes you get a player that maybe wasn't able to showcase the dribble because like Florida State's offense is just so clogged in the middle that there is just no space for you. And maybe in a free flow NBA offense like the Wizard one that like they are horrible uh, defensively but offensively they were actually good in putting up points maybe 
he will showcase other abilities that we couldn't able that we couldn't see in college. But that part of his game gives me a pause. And if you want to draft a three and D, ten is super high. If you want to draft Halliburton because he's a great point guard and and shooter, yes, that's the guy. Yeah, Vassell. That part really, really, really gave me a pause. And again, if you if you do a workout and and you see the stuff that at Florida State you couldn't see, then I'm okay. That's fine. Which is the same uh, thing that happened with Devin Booker. Devin Booker never handled the ball in, in at Kentucky, and he was okay defensively off ball, and he came. It became a superstar. So let me ask you a follow up. Two things, actually. First of all, it's interesting you bring up the workouts because one of the things that I find fascinating about this pre-draft process is that workouts are thrown out the window. Like yeah. nor- normally, Almost. normally, you know how we talk about so-and-so stock is rising and so-and-so mm-hmm. stock is falling. That usually has something to do with the fact that that guy's either killing it in his workouts and in his interviews or has really disappointed during his workouts and his interviews. Yeah. Maybe he or maybe he showed up and they never let him handle the ball. And they said, go handle the ball against these guys. And they did really well. Or maybe they interviewed great or they interviewed terribly or a million other things. Right. Now these teams are just doing these remote zoom interviews, which is like, you can't tell anything on a zoom. Everybody who is working remotely knows that doing stuff over zoom is like 60% of doing stuff in real life. Right. And it's the exact same thing with these interviews. It's the same thing with the press conferences that we do. Right. And and that's something that I find interesting. I mean, other than Cole Anthony, have you heard about anyone's stock rising or falling in the last six months? I mean, RJ. Cole, yeah, RJ, I guess, is the other one. Yeah. Um, it's less talk about it than we normally do. You know, normally leading up yeah. to the draft, we hear uh, you, Nasir Little is just killing it in his workouts, had an unbelievable yeah. workout for so-and-so, and that's why he climbed up the draft boards. And he's just been doing great every time. No one knew that he could do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that's that hasn't been the case. So that that has a serious impact mm-hmm. on the draft, and and it's going to have a serious impact on uh, on on certain guys after they get drafted, where I think even teams, I, I doubt a team would admit this. But there are going to be there's going to be a situation with somebody, I'm not saying with Vassell, just anybody. There's going to be a situation where somebody says, "I didn't realize he could do that," and it's yeah. weren't able. It's someone's fault. It's just they weren't able to do do as thorough homework or or the same type of homework that they're able to in years past because of the pandemic. So I mean, I, I think with uh, like with Anthony, I asked somebody who works for a team like about this concept. And I was like, how does Cole Anthony's like, you know, stock just, just fall. Like I understand how it falls throughout the college season, but how is it that the general thought on Cole Anthony in April when they'd already finished playing is different than it is now? He said, well, nobody has anything to do. So every single person involved in the draft process is watching more film than they ever have in their entire life. And the film on Cole Anthony is real bad. And yes. that is why Cole Anthony has fallen more than other guys. And um, this is why Okoro and Hampton, that pops through your screen, hmm. actually are rising. Which and, it, and maybe the first impression should be the one that drives you. Or maybe you, you really see that when you look closely. 
because like when you're in the middle of the season, when you start your draft process, you tend to uh, watch in a different way. Like you watch for concepts, you watch for like the, the overall picture that now they have time. And I was listening to, to Sam Bassini, uh talking with, I don't remember the name of the guest, a guy from the Stepien, and they were talking about this concept about like the thing that pops through your screen, like Okoro does things that you can really see. Yeah, that is what uh, an NBA team wants uh, in terms of never give up. And with Vassell, you see the hesitation. You see the fact that, he, that you want him to do more with the ball. And again, it might be that you play a center that is really not a center because it's 6'5", I don't know how many pounds, and or um, there are other players that cannot shoot. And the only one that can do things outside of the three-point line, it's you. So you have to navigate there. You have to roam there and wait for a pass to come or just take a shot yourself. So just it's tough. So, Michele, do you have a hard out? Or, or can we go for another 10 minutes? No, no, no. I, I can go for another 10 minutes. Okay, Wait, great. My wife will kill me, but who cares? I mean, I'll, I'll survive. <laughs> That's maybe we'll, she won't be not, able to. Maybe she will not kill me, kill me. Like, yeah. I don't know. You'll just You won't be able to come on the podcast for another week or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Monday, we will not be live, so maybe I can get away with that. Yeah, there you go. So we'll get a couple. Before we jump into these questions, then, I have a, I have a quick follow-up for you. Does the three-point volume concern you? Oh, with Vassell? Yes. Because that, that to me, is my concern. Sure. Me, that, that we see him make a lot of shots. He really hasn't taken very many no. threes. And if you want a real three and D guy in 2020, and this is only this number is only going to continue to get better. Like if he's going to play 28 to 34 minutes a game and like really, truly play impact minutes. I mean, you want that guy taking at least five threes a game and yeah. and he is not getting off shots. So number one. It makes me wonder, and 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 you've broken down the film more than me, which is why I'm going to ask you about this. Um, is the shooting going to hold up, or is he even going to want to and be comfortable taking five plus and you know maybe more threes a game, which is what his role in the NBA would call for if he played a legitimate amount of minutes? I will be very quick. Yes, forty percent shooter, no doubt. I think he the the shot looks perfect all the time. Um, it's it's elegant. It's compact. Like the repetition is there, no questions. Maybe he will be 38, maybe 41. I don't know, uh, around there. Uh, the second question is likely depending on who will be his head coach. If it's Spo, he will shoot it for sure. If it's Carlisle, he will shoot it for sure. Nurse, probably so. Brooks, I don't have a clue. Um, maybe since Bertans had like green light and because the, the Wizards really um, em like put an emphasis on on shooting. And but you are right. This is a problem with the three and D guys. If you can give him six, seven shots, I don't think five is a good number. With five, you get like like six to nine points. You just you just forget about that. The w you start to worry when a guy is like Bertans and can take 10 trees that can take 12 trees. And, and if you don't guard him, he will likely put up 24 points with 12 shots. That is the issue. So I don't think that five is a good number. It's a number for a role player that you play in sparse moment of the game. It's fine for Kendrick Nunn. 
it's not fine for Duncan Robinson. He should shoot 10, 12 threes. If you can't put him in a position where if the, the other team cheats on you, you take 10 shots. I don't care if Bradley Beal takes nine that night. If you're open, 10 threes, just shoot it. If that is the idea, okay. I think that's a great point. That's a great point. I, you are absolutely correct. Jumping on this question. Uh, Andrew, you're not entitled to have an opinion on this. Sorry. Oh, Andrew has an opinion. <laughs> Andrew, get in your opinion. I thought we were just no, going to no, jump no. To, the, to the comment question. No, no, no. I like, I like Andrew it. hasn't spoken in like six minutes. He's he still me. here. This is terrible hosting by me. Just having a con- two of us having a conversation. Andrew, get in, get in your thought. Get well, to me, your thought. like I understand that you don't want to take a role player at this point in the draft, but don't like go through every decent redraft and those guys rise to the top because like, okay, we know what we're getting. I feel like you know what you're getting mm-hmm. with him. And there's other guys in this yeah. draft. I mean, we'll get to the question about Aaron Naismith. But then, like, Josh Green, like, what's the difference between Josh Green and Vassell? Like, it's a pretty big difference, right? Like, Josh Green yeah. will go in the 20s for sure. Yeah. But, like, you can com- – but he's Maybe. The, he's the type of role player that you take in the 20s, right? In every yeah. single draft. In every draft. Yeah. And some of them he's work out. Josh Hart. Yeah. Some of them work out and some of them don't. But I think the yeah. reason why you take him in at the – 10th pick or the ninth pick or wherever he's going to end up is because you know like with what you said about his el- you you called his jump shot elegant like yeah you take him in the lottery take him in the lottery because yeah. it's you can't you just can't find those guys the thunder don't have one right now so take take him take him el- elegant elegant is the nicest thing you can say about a jump shot yeah like it's like a, like a jane air jump shot <laughs> it's like he like mr darcy had a elegant (laughs) jump shot uh question from justin russett uh how does aaron naismith fit for the bullzards very nice and rank amongst uh vassell and okoro andrew what do you think i mean he's i like him because i do think that he's going to be the type of guy that you can try to get 10 threes for i mean the dude can really really shoot it but he just doesn't have the same defensive upside that those guys do. And so you just, you put him behind and honestly, I, I think that McKellie's assessment's right. Like if you can get him in an offense like the Raptors or an offense like the Heat or somebody like that, like Aaron Naismith will play it and he'll be really good. If he, I don't know. I mean, if he, if he goes to the Wizards, is he guaranteed to be like a really good player? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Although the Wizards don't really care that much about defense and didn't really last year. So maybe he fits right in. But yeah, I mean, look, they they did a good job putting together a really good and kind of well-made offense yeah. last year. I think I think one thing that one th- the biggest thing I would say the coaching staff deserves credit for last year was how creative their offense was like they they were 13th in points per possession going into the they were 13th in points per possession, period. Yeah. Um, yeah. When Beal was on the floor. They had a 113 point something offensive efficiency, which is an excellent number. Mm -hmm. And Beal was on the floor with not great offensive players. 
they've turned right. Thomas Bryant into a really good offensive player mm-hmm. and have very much encouraged him now to start shooting threes. He was launching like five or six threes a game in the bubble. Um, they've said to Bertans, like, literally do whatever you want. Like, I know one of the reasons Bertans wants to resign, and I know it's more than this, but one of the reasons he legit wants to resign is because he came here and they were like, you're a great shooter. We don't care where and when you shoot. Just never pass the ball. Yeah. And he's like, never. No, never pass the ball. Just when you get the ball, we want you to shoot it every time. If you don't shoot it, you will be benched. We don't care if you make it or miss it. Just shoot it. I'm 32 feet out. Yeah. Yeah. Don't care. Half court. Just shoot the ball. Get a rebound. Defensive rebound. 73 feet from the rim. Just shoot the ball. It's fine. Shoot it every time. And he loved it. And it worked. Um, And and. I think they did a really great job changing around their offense, adding kind of creative motion, screening, dribble handoffs, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. I think they would do well. And a lot of this is Robert Pack, by the way. A lot of this is is Robert Pack, who ran their offense this year and really, really, really got to hold the reins of their offense. And I think did a a really great job with it. Um, I think they would do well if they drafted a shooter. And and also keep in mind, McKelly, two years ago, we did that. Can't believe it's two years ago already, man. We did that pass accuracy piece together. Yeah. Right. Where you yeah. came up with pass accuracy, um, pass accuracy rate, which was a stat that you came up with and totally. created. And I'll give you the credit, came up with and created and compiled, which said how accurate passers were um, finding catch and shoot three point shooters in their shooting pockets. In the pocket. Yes. And John Wall was. Very good. And one thing that John Wall was very good at is he never missed low. Remember yeah. that? John Wall yeah. missed low. Less which is the worst any other way guy, which, which, you is, can, yeah. which is the worst way you can miss. So when he yes. missed, he actually missed in the best way that you can miss a shooting pocket. He would yeah. miss right, left, or high. He never missed low. And I spoke to John about that, and it was a very conscious decision. He would say, he'd, if he, he, I know if I'm going to throw a wild pass, I don't want to miss low because he understood the concept unbelievably well of like yeah. guys are uncomfortable when they bring it up from low. And the numbers that we found completely backed up from that. If John Wall is 90% of himself, like, John, do you know John Wall, even after not playing for two years, has still created the fifth most corner threes in the NBA over the last five years? Yeah, that's insane. Which is, which is crazy. So if John Wall is decently himself, mm-hmm. I could see a shooter really thriving with them right off the bat. Like I could, yeah. if a guy is already a really good shooter, I'm not going to say they're going to make a Coro into something special shooting-wise. Yeah. I just mean like with like a Naismith. Like I could see a guy like that really, really being exciting inside their offense if they use him the right way. Like that, that wouldn't necessarily shock me. That's all. And, and and yeah, I mean, the defense is the problem there. Yeah. And he's six. He's got good size. So I, I wouldn't shy away from a guy like that. I mean, if the wizards could trade back and get like an asset or like a, a player as well, and you take Naismith, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate that at all. Just based on everything you just said. I think he's, He's good. Like I, I would not be surprised if he's a guy that that pops next year in the league. Just depending, he's got to go yeah. with a good point guard. But if he does, does that does that make sense, or is that my crazy Homer Wizards? No, 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 no. It makes total <laughs> sense. And I think that with a with an elite passer like Wall having uh, excellent shooters 
will be extremely valuable. And to to close my my thoughts on the sale on a higher note, I don't have Naismith uh, very high um, in my mental board because I don't have a, like a real one. Um, uh, I I think that. Maybe mental is not the right thing. Well, anyway, in my mind, um, sorry. Uh, Vassell can be your Michael, Michael Bridges. And if yeah. that happens, if he becomes that kind of player, mm-hmm. then I, I still think that nine is too high. But if somehow you, you can like trade back two spots, 11 or something like that, then maybe it makes sense, uh, or just drafting and, and be okay. It's not it's not a, a draft where if you if you if you draft a player like two three spots too high, uh, it's the end of the world. I would not draft Nesbit there. Uh, if you want to draft Nesbit, you have to 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 trade back and yeah. and find another asset. I don't know. Maybe Boston is a pick in a late lottery. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, and you may they always get, do. Yeah, you may get like <laughs> a guy like Romeo Langford plus plus the the pick or yeah. something like that. Maybe you you, you do a swap of a swap of assets like Banga and nine for Romeo Langford and whatever pick they have, something like that, and you get an as another asset, something like that could make sense for them for the Wizards. You're such of a sell hater. I just can't believe you. <laughs> No, I'm not a hater. You are I'm though. Not a hater. Like you are. You're this. You're just. You're a hater, and that's just all you are. And I just. What a just journey for it. Romeo Langford. Originally being the draft pick that was salary dumped to get Stauskas out. Now, <laughs> now he gets to be a bullet. What a journey. <laughs> you no, know, I, I don't think the the Celtics will do it because it's just year one. But something yeah. like along the lines, you can do that with uh, with Sacramento probably. You can get a deal there. Maybe you. you, you that would be amazing if he ended up in Sacramento after everyone made such a big deal. No, not not Langford. I mean, for the ninth pick. I know. I'm changing the topic. I want <laughs> Langford in Sacramento. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not a hater. I'm not a hater. I just see Okoro and an RJ for 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 that matter um, with more upside. And it's just me. If I have a pick in the top ten, it just I just want to to risk it. I'm willing to risk it because, like, for me, ceiling is important. And I don't see Okoro and Vassell having different kind of median outcome in terms of them being players that can play around twenty minutes in the NBA. Are you, scout- if you, are, you, if you- are you scouting for the Thunder? Like, what's going on here? Like what's happening? <laughs> I'm not scowling for the thunder. I, I don't believe you. Um, I don't believe. I actually, honestly, don't believe you because you're just like, yeah, like shooting. Just throw that. Yeah, that's just. It's a thing. It's no, okay. We'll just set it over like, here. And then, like, look at all this stuff. All this stuff is exciting. <laughs> shooting. <laughs> like, just. think about your favorite player in the bubble for OKC, and give yourself an answer. Darius Baisley. Chris Paul? <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> You're lying. You are lying. <laughs> okay, um, uh, enough Thunder talk. Uh, I like myself. <laughs> I think Okora has a slightly uh, higher ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got another question. Um, ooh, Shams just broke the Dragic's out tonight. That's a shame. Yeah. <sighs> that sucks for him. Yeah, it does. Like, Worked so hard for so long, played unbelievably in the playoffs, gets to a point where 
he's getting to the finals and can't play. That's yeah, just that's the worst. Feel for him. That sucks. Anyway, we got a question from Kevin Folly. Uh, what do you make of Tommy Shepard saying they may be open to taking a wild swing in the draft? I guess I'll take this one. Yeah. Pokushevsky? Pokushevsky, baby. Yes. Uh, I don't make a ton of it because I think they showed last year they were open to taking a wild swing. Like, I think I think they admitted themselves that Rui was a bet on upside. That's a wild mm-hmm. swing, right? Like, that's that's there's they swung for the fence fences with the Rui pick. Um, if you take the business side out of it and the business from Japan out of it, from a basketball perspective, their logic in taking Rui was we think he's a great kid. We think he's already got some NBA skills. He's got an NBA body and he's got NBA size. But the reason we think he's this high and is going to be this good, the reason we have him so high on our board, because they had him like top five on their on their draft board. Um, and they ended up drafting ninth and taking him at nine, but they had him inside the top five. The reason why they had him that high was because they anticipate a lot of improvement from him. They saw him as a candidate to improve a lot not necessarily and they thought he'd contribute right away he started off the bat he's never not started a game we've seen him go for a guy who he believed to be a big improvement candidate so i think taking a wild swing is plausible i i I, that's kind of what i make of it i think they're gonna go for a guy who they think is going to who has the best chance of being a really good player that's what I think. Bold call. I know. Well, just um, start just start working on your pronunciation skills for Alexei Pogushevsky. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I means. I think it's plausible they trade down. I think it's plausible they trade the pick. Mm-hmm. Like it's possible they trade up. The it's possible that they let, can do anything. No, but it, let's let's read between the lines on what they say. Right? Okay. We want to compete next year. Yeah. That's what they say. John Wall's coming back. Bradley Beal's a free agent in two years. We feel like we're ready to compete. We feel like we have a roster. Are you? We believe in Jerome Robinson, which they do. They love Jerome Robinson. They think Jerome Robinson is going to be a mm-hmm. good player. Mm-hmm. They like Bonga. They think Bonga is going to be a good player. They're ready to go into next year with Troy Brown playing 25 minutes a game, and they feel good about that. They like Ish Smith as a backup. And maybe they could trade Ish Smith and actually get like, you know, swap him for another role player if they really want to. It's not like Ish has never traded, changed teams before in his entire life. They think that they are going to be, they think they're going to acquire their number one priority, I should say, is to acquire a rim protector to help them defensively. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means for Thomas Bryant and Mo Wagner, but we can read between the lines there. Um, they want to re-sign Davis Bertans. All of these things with we want to compete. Now let's go down the line in the Eastern Conference, yeah, which is not bad. Everyone's like, well, it's the East. Okay. Miami's going to be really good. Yeah. Boston's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. The Sixers had the absolute worst case scenario for them this year and still played at a 48-win pace. That's a good team. Yeah. They're wouldn't surprise anyone in the world if they won. As a matter of fact, it would surprise people if they didn't win at a 51 pace next year. Mm -hmm. The Pacers are going to win 45 games until the end of time. Mm -hmm. You're shaking your head. Let me finish. I wouldn't bet. The Nets, the Nets are going to be good. I'm forgetting another team who's, oh, Toronto is going to be really good. Mm -hmm. That's seven teams. So 
what you're vying to be is the eighth team. That doesn't necessarily mean the eighth seed, but it does mean you're vying to be the eighth team and probably a bottom half playoff seed. I don't see how they're not a bottom half playoff seed at the absolute best. So what's one way to make your roster better right right away? If you want to compete next year, don't make yourself better with a rookie. Trade the number nine pick for somebody who can help you right now. And I'm not saying they're definitely going to happen, but doing something like that is along the lines of that philosophy. And I don't think we should just rule it out. I, I have no indication they're actively shopping number nine. Absolutely none. But if somebody calls them and says, hey, we'll trade you this actually really good uh, 30-year-old 3-and-D wing for number nine. If you're in a team that wants to be good next year, like it's a weak draft, like you're not hanging up the phone. No, no way. That's a possibility for nine two. We might all be totally wasting our time with this podcast. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I don't remember how we got into that. Right. Wild swing. Well, that wild to me swing. counts as a wild swing too. Trading the picks a wild swing too. Yep. Uh, thoughts on Tyrell Terry? I don't like the fit with the Wizards. Because he's he's too he's just really small. Mm-hmm. And he's gotta have the ball mm-hmm. in his hands. He's kinda I mean he's Jason Terry esque. Yeah, but again, that that involves like trading back, like way way back, and yeah, I I, I don't see that. I wouldn't take um, him with ten to be disrespectful to Tyrell Terry. Wouldn't do it. No, the tricky part on 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 Fred thinking about like using the pick is the salary matching. Uh, I don't want to dig too much into mm-hmm. into Cap Manusha because it's late here and I probably mess up everything. But they have. 16 millions roughly that they can easily trade and it's not super easy to get a quality player for that amount Mm -mm. uh it's not impossible especially if he's in a rookie scale deal because that but it means getting away from ishmith and that you might be okay doing it or bryant um so you have to find a cheap veteran one way or another to fill one of the spots that you basically Mm -hmm. Yeah, that you basically need, and then trying to find a rookie scale player, which is one of the best commodities in the NBA. Yeah, uh, and so they're going to be over the cap. To be clear, yes, be, yeah. yeah. Well, yes. and also the problem with like you talked about all these teams that are competing, like it's the same in the Western Conference, and trying to trade your number nine pick to a team that is trying to take a step back, like who's taking a step back? OKC and the Spurs, maybe. Yeah. And like in the East, who's taking a step? Like the Bulls want to make the playoffs. The Knicks always want to make the playoffs. The Pistons want to make the playoffs. The Hawks want to make the playoffs. The Cavaliers would like to make the playoffs too. Charlotte would like to make the playoffs. Orlando would like to make the playoffs. It's everybody. Come on, Detroit Pistons, baby. I mean, it's really, I mean, the, the problem is like trying to trade your pick for a guy that's ready to play now is when you call that team, they say, oh, yeah, we're ready to play now too. That's why we love this guy. You may get Kennard. That's yeah. They, Kennard is is out there. Kennard, Kennard can be a player that is plays the role. Uh, will play the role that Ishmith is in in a totally different way. Yeah. Improves your shooting. Uh, it's not worth the nine pick in every draft. Uh, probably not in this draft as well. Uh, but if you get some compensation uh, here and there, I don't know what you can get on top of that, on top of Kennard, maybe a future product pick or a swap. Um, maybe, 
That's but interesting. These, these are these are the kind of player that you get. Or again, you get a veteran like I don't know Danny Green. I don't know why the Lakers would do the trade. Probably it's not uh, a, a trade that you do with just those that two would teams. Have to be a three-way. Well, 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 maybe Schroeder goes to uh, goes to the Lakers. Danny Green goes to the Wizards, and like OKC gets Schmidt and and Bryant. It will be something like that. But are you really improving all that. the all that much? Like Wouldn't you're better off just drafting no. sell and. And, and signing with MLE or yeah. or minimum scale deal a guy the guy that you need the guys that you need you can find Nerls Noel for the minimum maybe not him but another guy that I think you can get him there's no way he's more expensive than the biannual no exactly you can get him for the biannual or if if you could be everything goes yeah. wrong four millions like something like that he will be okay uh, and you can find like a point guard at a similar price. If you need him. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. You can, you can get a center for it. They're the running backs of, of the NBA. Now you can get a backup center for a decent price. Yep. You can do it. And there are a lot. I'm probably going to have a piece on this next week, by the way, just looking at centers who can, Mm -hmm. uh, who can make a difference on the free agent market. There are a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Like, Aaron Baines is a free agent who is a tremendously good role player mm-hmm. and does yeah. everything the Wizards would want from a center. Yeah. He's old. Threes, he screens, he does all the dirty work. He's a good defensive center. Like he he does everything. And I think you could probably get him for the I think he'll be the mid-level. Probably I think he'll be so. a mid-level yeah. guy. No, not not that not that many money. It's eight great. millions? No. Yeah. He shoot he shot thirty five from three on five threes He's a game this year. Thirty six years old. I think you can get the mid level. No. Two year deal. I'll bet you. I'll bet you right now. Okay, I'll ship you I'll my. Bet you pizza. one of your homemade pizzas. Oh, we're on the same page. Ship you my pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I will bet you. You're gonna have to make me one of your pizzas, and then buy a freezer box to ship it across the world, <laughs> which and. And pay for all the fees that it's going to have to have with with hey, with all of that. Let's rephrase. The next time we see each other, I'll make you a pizza. That there that I, I'm willing to bet. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be able to go to Europe until like 2026 at this rate <laughs> with my passport. Same so. here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's I think that's a perfect way to end it. Yeah. We've got a pizza bet. <laughs> Although yeah. I don't do it. This is a great bet for me because if I lose, I apparently don't have to do anything. Um, <laughs> I cannot ask you to cook, so I don't know. I was going to say, I don't really know that you want to spread making you a pizza, McKelly. <laughs> well, so subscribe to Wizards After Dark if you're just listening to this random episode and you enjoyed it and you want to subscribe. Uh, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you really love the show and you want to help out, you can go on to iTunes. You can leave a review that you can leave five stars. That always helps out when you might realize and, and the written reviews help too. Uh, I will be back with a new episode sometime next week. I'll probably be doing a bunch of episodes like this one. A lot of draft focused stuff now because the draft is coming up on November 18th. So we've got about a month and a half. We're recording this one Friday afternoon. So we've got about a month and a half till the draft actually comes up. Uh, and there are a lot of prospects who are possibilities at number nine who we can talk about. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark is going to get you, that's a $1 a month subscription rate. So if you've been like on the fence, like now's the time. We're, we're basically the Joseph A. Bank of websites now, but theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark 
Joseph A. Bank makes amazing, amazing boxer briefs, by the way. <laughs> Underratedly, low-key, the best boxer briefs. So, like, come on. We're the... <laughs> I feel like someone's going to get mad at me for saying that. Theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark for $1 a month on your uh, subscription rate. Um, and that's it. That's all. I'll be back next week. And uh, guys, thank you for coming on. And uh, I'll talk to everybody then. Bye.